perhaps more than anyone else who has ever lived or ever will live, Jesus knew exactly why he had been born. He didn't need to take an aptitude test to figure out where his strengths were. He didn't need to go to a high school guidance counselor in order to figure out where his direction should be. He felt that he was not bound to follow in his foster's father's vocational footsteps. Had there been a zip recruiter or a LinkedIn in his time, he would have said, thanks, but no thanks, I don't need that. He didn't pull out the Wall Street Journal equivalent and the Jerusalem Times and look to see what the economic outlook was and where the good jobs would be and head in that direction so he could live the good life. On the other hand, neither did he sink into despair, thinking that, as some scientists teach us today, the universe has no purpose and therefore its inhabitants have no purpose and therefore we should all be depressed about that. And it didn't lead him to contemplate thinking about taking his own life up in that backwater territory called Galilee. No, you heard it this morning. You heard him say in the gospel, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And what exactly was the good news of the kingdom which his father had sent him to preach? What could possibly be good news to the, for the future of oppressed Jews who were living under the harsh rule of Rome? Well, the good news he preached was this. God has not forgotten you. He is going to fulfill the promise of the new kingdom, the new age, the longed-for messianic age. It's going to come. God is going to put evil in its place and establish a peaceful reign filled with joy. Gone would be every tear brought about by sorrow, by disappointment, by guilt, by loss. It would all be wiped away from their eyes. And to show that he was no pie-in-the-sky snake oil salesman, Jesus backed up his words with deeds. Sneak previews, brief glimpses of what was coming when God would finally bring about this new age. And so lepers were cleansed so that they could be rejoined to their family, symbolizing the joining of the full community when the kingdom of God would be established. He dealt with diseases and fevers so that people could have a sneak preview of what life was going to be like in the new age with no diseases, no fevers, no incapacitations. Those who were possessed by demons were set free to give a preview of what life would be like without the influence of evil to frighten or to discourage us. The deaf were made to hear so that they could not only hear but also speak intelligibly and join in the conversation of a community. The dead were raised so that we would know in the new age there will be no worry about it. It's going to be eternal life for all of God's people. Wine was going to flow even more generously than it did at that wedding in Cana we heard about several weeks ago. All this was going to happen because God was going to deal sin and death its final crippling blow. That would be some triumph. And it was going to come at the cost of Jesus' own life. So when Jesus stood before the demons, they were fearful 
because it dawned on them that what they had heard about their faith, that they would be cast into a lake of fire, actually was no rumor. It was going to be the truth. And they were going to get a sneak preview of that horrible fate by being removed, by being exercised from those in whom they inhabited. And that was causing them great pain. At this early point in his ministry, only Jesus and those demons knew who it was who was going to bring Satan and his minion to their knees. Only they knew who was going to bring in this promised kingdom in a renewed paradise where God would make all things new. So John got it right when several weeks ago he described what Jesus did to the content of those six stone water jars as a sign rather than as a miracle. Jesus performed signs that pointed people to what was to come when God would bring in that new age and establish Jesus' reign forever. Now we're waiting for that day no less than they were. We laugh at those who believe they can cut short this wait time by promising to build a new kingdom here on earth using their various political actions and policies, whether they be characterized as right or left or centrist. Because unlike the coming kingdom of God, these attempts are tinged with self-interest. They're tinged with a desire for glory, for a desire for prestige, for a desire for money. Or they're proposed by people who have absolute ignorance of human nature and propose such idealism that we know from our scriptures cannot come to fruition because of our human nature. Whether the gospel they preach is that you can pull yourself up by your own capitalist bootstraps, or whether it's put your faith in government because it will take care of you from cradle to grave, fallen nature always runs the show. It always sticks its fingers in there and ruins the best intentions that we have. It just simply cannot be brought about. And so for that reason alone, no human government, no social network outlet can deliver on its promise to give us the good life. Now that doesn't mean our only recourse of action is simply to withdraw from society, maybe to join a religious cult, maybe move to Montana, where we can self-isolate ourselves from all these corrupt practices. No, as the bringers of every utopia found, they not only brought with them eager people, but they brought with them that fallen nature that corrupted every chance they had of building a new society here on earth. No, we don't need to do that. Luke tells us that when Peter's mother-in-law was cured of her fever, immediately she got up and began to serve Jesus and his crew. So if Jesus' baptism anointed him for this mission of giving sneak previews of, of glimpses into the future, our baptism into Christ does no less. We too are invited to be among those who show forth the glories of God who has called us into his marvelous light. If boats are christened before they're sent out on their maiden voyage, our christening, our baptism have done no less by sending us out on this journey with Christ as little Christs. Paul reminds us that Christ died for those, for all, so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who, was, who died and was raised. 
But your baptism gave you more than a commission. Thankfully, it also gave you the power to fulfill that commission because when the waters were poured upon you, you also received the Holy Spirit to empower you for a life that shows forth the glory of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, how we do that, how we carry that out in our daily lives was illustrated when the newly baptized came to John and said, what, what should we do? How should we change our life to be living in this fashion? Maybe they were disappointed because his answer was so mundane, so ordinary. He told the tax collectors, don't take any more than you're required to take. He told the soldiers, don't complain about your pay. In other words, what he was saying is, by the Spirit's power, produce the fruit that's fitting for the righteousness that Christ has given you freely in the forgiveness of your sins. And so, later disciples would establish hospitals and orphanages. Christians would hear righteous, bear righteous fruit by opening food banks, by establishing shelters for the homeless, for those who've been abused, those who've been sex trafficked. They would establish schools that taught not only the wonders of creation, but also taught the wonderful Creator who designed it, who brought it about, and makes us alive today. Godly lawyers would take on pro bono cases for those who couldn't afford to have a good defense. Doctors without borders travel to poverty-stricken countries where they perform surgeries as glimpses of what life will be like when God makes you whole and complete. These people would do all these things not for their own glory. They wouldn't do them to gain God's approval. They already had it as they received the forgiveness of their sins in Christ. They did it to offer signs of what's to come, previews of what's to come, signs that God's reign was near. And these acts were sneak previews of what we can all expect when God brings in that future reign. And these signs are no less miraculous. Only the point of the miracle is not so much of those who receive the actions, but those who give them because they've been done by people whose hearts God has transformed. And that's a miracle. <clears throat> now, recipients of such mercy often ask, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this for you? I'm stunned. I'm amazed by it. Why? Well, one answer I don't hear enough is this one. We're doing this to give you a sneak preview, a glimpse of what life is going to be like for the righteous in the age that is to come. It's going to be a life free from anxiety, free from poverty, free from guilt, free from loss and disappointment. Now, if you like what we've done, if you like the preview we've given you, the glimpse we've given you, then know that God wants this to be your standard of living in the age to come. So why don't you do what countless others have done, and that's follow Christ. Put your trust in Him. Put your trust in His promises. The best is yet to come. Dear friends in Christ and members of St. John, I encourage you to keep that as your mission, as the reason for which you have been called and sent to give your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, whomever you meet, by your actions, a sneak preview of what we are all waiting to happen and experience. The best is yet to come. 
God grant that to you for Jesus' sake. Amen.